You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 89th program of Think Again. This program is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that's been dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jennifer Burrell. And I'm Jacques Boulet. In last week's conversation with David Hayward, David talked about the need for governments and society in general to invest in social support and healthcare rather than siphoning off public monies, our monies, to private profit-making corporations or enterprises. So this week, we're continuing with this theme, taking a close look at one aspect of the COVID-19 pandemic, which the regular press and media seem to give very little attention to, or, or at least only superficial attention to, and that's the production of the various vaccines and how that entire process is organised and, of course, paid for. So after last program, Jacques told me about an interesting article he received from one of his overseas connections, and which he's translating from Dutch. An article that was earlier translated from Catalan was written by Vincent Navarro, dealing exactly with this topic. So we thought we'd dedicate this program to discussing it. Firstly, Jacques, can you tell us a bit about Vincent Navarro and his work and thinking and, and how you first came across him? Navarro has been a professor of health and public policy at Johns Hopkins University in the US for over 30 years. He then became professor uh, in political and social science at the Pompeu Fabra University and became a director of the public policy center, both in Barcelona. He is also the director of the Observatorio Social de España, where he coordinates a research project on the welfare state. He has also been an advisor to several governments and worked within global institutions such as the United Nations, the World Health Organization, and he has been an advisor to the president of the European Parliament. Mm, Pretty impressive public Mm. policy credentials. So Jacques, (laughs) what caught your interest in his analysis of public policy around health? Yeah, interestingly, in 1984... The, he served as health policy advisor to the presidential for the presidential campaign of Jesse Jackson, who was then the Democratic candidate, uh, you know, being a candidate, Democratic candidate against Reagan mm. for his for Reagan's second uh, term, mm-hmm. which was how I came to know about him and his writings. I was then doing some teaching in the U.S. at the University of Michigan, teaching subject in community development and in U.S. institutions. So I came to know and use his earlier writings in my teaching. He wrote some insightful critiques of the way public health was moving. Like what? Well, just to give you some titles, 
uh, one title of a work he wrote in 93 was Dangerous to Your Health, Capitalism in Healthcare, which was published with the Monthly Review Press. And then he had a really important review of President Reagan's introduction of economic rationalism or neoliberalism in a book titled The Politics of Health Policy, Mm -hmm. The U.S. Reforms, 1980-1994, which was Mm -hmm. really one of the first critiques of the consequences uh, of the introduction of neoliberalism. Mm. And, and, of course, that was around the time, the beginning of the neoliberal slide to the bottom. Exactly. And later then he wrote a book called Political and Economic Determinants of Population Health and Wellbeing with uh, another person called Montainer. And he also wrote The Political and Social Context of Health. That was in 2004 that both Mm -hmm. came out. So I guess even those titles point to the public health idea that health isn't just something resides in individual bodies Mm -hmm. and that it really exists in communities in um, um, political and economic contexts as Mm -hmm. well as communities. And that's where health happens and ill health happens. Mm -hmm. So anyway... We can put those references on our program page for people who are interested. But Jacques, can you give us, just give us the gist of what Vincent Navarro was saying that really piqued your interest? Well, he, his take on public health sits in a solid Marxist framework of understanding, including the role of the state in maintaining a healthy population and the damage done to people's health when their working conditions are insecure or dangerous for their health. Mm, Yeah, the damage done to people's health when their working conditions are insecure or dangerous. Mm. That's so relevant, isn't it, during the time of the coronavirus? Absolutely. Yeah. And not and beyond that time as well. Mm. So, Jacques, can you tell us about the latest article you read by Vincent Navarro and why that particular article has grabbed your attention? Well, first of all, translated from Dutch. Mm -hmm. First of all, it was great to see Navarro's name mentioned in the Flemish daily newspaper I receive every day and the memories I had of his writing and ideas that came back immediately after not having taught this material for about 30 years, really. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, it was so good to read it and wonder why this is not at all really openly discussed in any of the regular news media in Australia. Even if we have only hinted at this, we even we have only hinted at this in in some of our early programs, particularly the first one which we did on the coronavirus mm. way back in March uh, last year. Yeah, that is almost a year ago, and we then talked. You will probably remember about the systemic failures becoming apparent through the the pandemic, in which and we talked. Also then about outsourcing, privatization, the destruction of the community health networks, uh, of existing decentralized and local health care and health promotion institutions and instances mm. during that early period of the introduction of neoliberalism. Yeah. And back to Navarro, he suggests that the shortages and delays in delivery of the vaccines which we in Australia have also been wondering about, given the lies our governments have been telling us all along, that they are really, he said, not to do with the fact that we don't know how to deal with pandemics. He says, and I quote him, 
I can assure you all that it is indeed known uh, how this pandemic needs to be overcome. We know, for example, that economic reconstruction is impossible without first controlling the pandemic, negating or ignoring the second, that means the pandemic, to fix the first, that means the economy, leads to an economic, social and health catastrophe. Yeah. Well, yeah, Shark, I think we've generally got that in Australia, uh, not to let the pandemic rip in order to protect the economy, hence all our lockdowns and border closures, even with all the criticisms around that. Exactly. They were not that easy and they were argued certainly in the conservative press, mm-hmm. in news as well, as, and even in ABC and, and The Age. So uh, Vincent Navarro, he wonders with us, if we know how we should gain control over the pandemic, and if we have the means to do so, why then is it not happening? Mm. The shortage of vaccines even is present in those countries on both sides of the Northern Atlantic Ocean, countries considered wealthy. It is totally absurd because the rich countries, he says, and a great deal of the poor ones as well, they do have the means to massively produce these vaccines. Yeah, Yeah. so yes. So now we're talking about the vaccines, Mm. which we're all looking to, to save us. As even here in Victoria and Australia, we can't be in lockdown forever. And I guess we realise that. So everyone's looking to vaccines to save them. That's right. And Navarro goes on to critique the way access to the vaccine is being limited to protect private profit. profit. He cites an interview with Thomas Queenie, who is the president of the International Federation of Pharmaceutical Industries, who admits that without public resources from the US, the UK and Germany, this private industry would never have been able to develop the vaccine. Mm. the vaccines that fast. Mm. And Navarro adds, and I'm quoting, the fundamental part for the development of any vaccine is the basic knowledge that mostly is found in public centres or generated through public subsidies for health and sanitary or public hygiene research. And then he adds, in addition to the use of the basic knowledge the development of which is funded by the public purse of the nations. And listen to this now. These nations also offer the pharmaceutical corporations an enormous present by guaranteeing them monopolies for long years for Mm -hmm. the sale of their end products. Mm -hmm. This can be going on for 20 years, which guarantees those companies astronomical profits. The profit margins of pharma corporations on all such in all such countries is the highest for all business sectors. Mm. So he's basically saying that research and development for the COVID vaccines has mm. been largely funded by the public purse. So I'm just mm-hmm. checking this with you, Jacques. Yeah. And then the intellectual property is gifted to large pharmaceutical corporations so they can have monopolies and guaranteed profit well into the future. You got 10 out of 10 for this test. Well, yes. I want to, I, I would rather that wasn't true. <laughs> yeah, and it gets worse. He goes on to say, Navarro goes on to say, that is the origin of the shortage in vaccines. It is that simple. 
intellectual property guaranteed by states and protected by legislations on international trade and their representatives causes an artificial mm -hmm. shortage in vaccines. Yeah. So, hmm. so let's, that, let's have that digest a little bit and have a break with some music, Endless Maze by Dim Unit.
You're listening to Think Again, 3CR, 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about the big steal by pharmaceutical monopolies that are restricting access to the COVID vaccine for private, enormous private profit, even after being gifted that research and development for the vaccines, which was funded from the public purse. In, in various jurisdictions. So this situation is obviously wrong and, and outrageous and devastating. Millions of people will die as a result. So it's not a trivial point. It's really important. And you're right to point out, Jacques, we haven't heard about that in the mainstream mm. media. And mm. so why aren't we hearing more about it? Well, Vincent Navarro suggests that this has, and a quote, everything to do with the dominant ideology and culture in these countries. And he particularly refers to the countries on both sides, to the Atlantic Ocean, but Mm. he can add Australia to that, obviously. That makes it difficult to go any further than what hegemonic thinking allows us to reflect on and think about. That ideology tells us that the next best, that the best way to deal with crisis is always to go via private property and the market. There's always the suspicion and condemnation that anything else would represent, as he calls it, socio-communism. And the ideology continues to suggest that that doesn't work and that it is against democracy and that after all, the pandemic is better called, we have given the that name, the Chinese virus, which really, if you think about it, is all the proof that it is only democracy that works. So that, that kind of convoluted okay. way of thinking. Yeah. So much of the of the reason why we don't hear about it, in this country particularly, is located in that Australian version of that ideology and the interests that profit from it, economic, political and socially. Mm. Looking back at the entire episode of how the federal government outsourced most of its responsibility for controlling the pandemic to the states, but then sometime in the middle of, no, it was probably more two-thirds down of last year, Mm. triumphantly uh, sort of told everyone that uh, after the first vaccines were developed and there was some date given when they would be available, that it had reserved so and so many millions of them and that we would be safe. And then, of course, to put just, they put, the, the start of the vaccination was already then put back way back in March of March. this year, 2021. Uh-huh. And when questions were asked about that, they were then moved forward to end of February, which is now. And that has everything to do with the laws and obeying the laws of the market rather than opt for a truly public health response, as suggested by Vincent Navarro. Mm. So, Jacques, what would you say the implications of this well, dire situation? Yeah, well, already you probably have heard as well that the, the World Health Organization chief already from the beginning warned uh, that, uh, you know, and also certainly when the um, the vaccine started to be produced and tested, he urged the rich countries to respond to the pandemic in a just way, mm-hmm. uh, in a way which, which therefore 
is equally across the globe mm -hmm. and distribute the vaccine according to real need and on the basis of equality, as I said. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty clear that millions will die to uphold the enormous profitability of pharma, as, of the pharmaceutical industries. Mm -hmm. As Navarro suggests, and I quote, it is clear that developing countries, and especially the poorest, will not receive vaccines in many years. The pandemic is showing more clearly than ever that the economic system that dominates the world is incompatible with the well-being and quality of life of peoples. That's quite a strong statement. It's a very strong statement. And uh, what it means really is that the, self, the selfishness and the self-interest being displayed here by the rich countries and by the pharmaceutical industry is not at all surprising in an ideological context in which greed and egoism and narcissism are normalized mm. and where the relational values we think again have been advocating uh, are con condemned as undemocratic in the end, as socialist, as left, or whatever the name of the pigeonhole is with which these values are then sidelined. Much of what you hear in Parliament or in our public and even social media uses such pigeonholing as an excuse to not have to intellectually deal with mm -hmm. real reasons as to why there is shortages and things like that yeah, or maldistribution. To, yeah, to mm -hmm. easily dismiss them. Because That's the, correct. the name-calling conveniently dismisses critiques like, mm -hmm. well, like ours, but also mm -hmm. Vincent Navarro's that shine mm -hmm. light on what's really going on. So you don't to, have to look at the facts. You don't have to look at the expert right. analysis. You just mm. um, throw names around and that's so, it. Well, the best recent example was how Health Minister Hunt went after that uh, interviewer of the ABC, basically not wanting to respond to the question and telling him that he was left. Kaboom, that was it. Yeah, that's right. So on this note, we probably go to a short break and we continue after that. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're calling out the devastating restriction on access uh, to the COVID vaccines by pharmaceutical monopolies that use intellectual property rights for the vaccines funded by the public purse. 
Uh, I've recently translated an article by Vincent Navarro uh, from the Dutch about this. And that's what most of our uh, program today is being referring to, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Jacques, to continue, I guess the big question is what needs to be done and what can we do? Mm -hmm. Mm. Well... Vincent Alfaro, again, he says it best. He quotes, or I quote him, the countries that have financed this basic knowledge need to intervene and produce the vaccines by themselves. And so those remind us of what those countries are. Well, certainly the US and the UK and Germany. Mm -hmm. And they did national, they need to, to create the national production of these things. Mm -hmm. To continue, quote Navarro, a number of countries such as South Africa and India, they have asked the World Trade Organization for the property rights of these vaccines to be suspended, or at least for the duration of the pandemic. A protest movement against the excessive power of the pharmaceutical industry is emerging internationally and also in the United States in particular, economist Dean Baker, and we will also put the reference to a YouTube on, uh, on our podcast, has proposed that it should be the public authorities, and in particular in the US, the Federal Agency for Health, which should finance not only the basic intellectual knowledge creation, but also that applied in the development of the vaccine. Yeah, so Jacques, does Dean Baker mean that public authorities should own the knowledge and development of the vaccines and therefore the intellectual property? Absolutely, or alternatively, that while it may be produced privately, that certainly the distribution and uh, the, 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 the management of the distribution should be managed by states, and particularly also that uh, the, the payment for these private things should therefore take away the profit mm, yeah. uh, motive. <clears throat> so what about in Australia? Well, in Australia, there are enough very well-recognised research institutions that could develop these vaccines, and some of them have even tried, yeah. and then be enabled to produce and distribute them as well via a well-resourced public health decentralised network. As we are now learning, the public infrastructure for this was potentially present till neoliberalism broke loose and destroyed much of that of that network, including the quarantine hospital which we had in in Victoria. That was in Fairfield, wasn't it? That's that's right. Yeah. Then the great community health centres network which we had, the health promotions funding which we had, mm. and one could mm. go on to sort of uh, to basically uh, demonstrate how much of the public health infrastructure has been damaged by neoliberalism. Yeah, yeah because Jacques. The, the lot of the dis solutions that you're describing mm -hmm. are obviously what was happening before neoliberalism right. really took off in the from the early 90s I'd say Absolutely. and the and the mainstream ideology mm -hmm. that we should leave everything to the market and private mm. profit that's mm. right Which, and and I feel that Vincent, Vincent Navarro should have the last word as to what should be done and I'm quoting him it should be expected that the usual right-wing powers from President Trump, who is now not there anymore, but still, the right wing in Spain and in Catalonia, and certainly also with us in Australia, will accuse those who want to bring about such production as being, as I already said, socio-communist or left or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's what happens across the world. Hence, citizens should mobilize 
to question all these dogmas as they cause so much damage to the population. I encourage readers and listeners to create texts and protest letters and send them to all the relevant institutions. This can and should happen. But what we now face is that people's dogmatic convictions keep them from understanding what's going on. Yeah, and that's the finish of the quote from mm. Navarro. The- so thank you so much for translating that from Dutch and sharing that with us, Jacques. Mm-hmm. And we do know this is an issue for the Public Health Association of Australia, who we've mm-hmm. been in communication with, and we'll be having someone from the PHAA on the program soon to talk uh, more about that and perhaps how we can get behind um, its push for change. Mm-hmm. So we're coming to the end now. We should get to our community announcements. This week the federal government is making a decision about the future settings of Centrelink payments like JobSeeker and Youth Allowance. We can't go back to the below poverty levels we had pre-COVID. So it's more important than ever, ring up your local federal MP and let them know why we can't go back to the old below poverty levels of COVID and we must Mm. keep them at a livable level. And on another matter, don't forget that we are in the National Sustainable Living Festival and that uh, listening to all of their programs, which are quite exciting and quite quite important, they have done a really good job this year, I think. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, stay tuned for Jailbreak, which gives a voice to prison inmates, their families and their friends. To bring us into this program, we have World Turning by Yothu Yindi. I've been 